0: doing a series entitled Authentic Faith because I believe here in the 21st century we need to get back to the authenticity of what it means to believe in Jesus. No, I mean really believe in Jesus, to have that resurrection faith, live faith on the inside of you that that determines everything about you and releases you into the goodness of God. Last week we looked at The apostolic assurance, we might as well have said apostolic faith, because apostolic faith, which we have, the Bible says, as we'll read in a moment, that we've obtained the same kind of faith that the apostles had. Imagine, the same faith that lived in Peter is in you. Amen. And Paul, and and all the other apostles, same faith. Uh, And we've been given that by the Holy Spirit. And that means that we can be sure Being a believer in Christ today is not a hope so, suppose so, maybe so kind of a person. It's a person who knows, who deeply knows Christ and who is engaged, really connected with the spiritual realm in Christ and is being shaped and formed to become like him. Today we're going to go on to talk about how this faith, properly followed, will bring us into an enjoyment of God that is positively mind-blowing. So let's read. I'm going to read the first four verses from 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, through evil desires. I don't know if you've got any friends. I mean, real friends. Friends who it's just so good when they're around. You've got one, two people. Hope it's your husband, if your wife, if you're married. If not, we'll sign you up for marriage counseling. Um, but, but friends. And, and one thing that is characterized by their company is you just love it. You love being around them. You may have to go on a long journey sometimes, and a train journey or plane journey sometimes can be boring. I'm, I'm never bored. I've always got things to do. But sometimes I'm focused on a book or getting my thoughts together, and, but I'm always occupied. And, but sometimes when I'm traveling with somebody whose company is particularly enjoyable... Of course, my wife uh, at the top of the list, thank you sweetheart, okay, but sometimes also a team member, and we get a chance just to talk, and, and the whole journey just went by. And it, it, you just think, well, well, are we there already? And uh, I can think of many journeys which have been made delightful by the company that I've been able to keep, and sometimes that might be a stranger, somebody that, that, you've, that you've just met, and you really just get click, and you connect, and, and, and it's fantastic. Now. If we can experience that at a human level, imagine what it is like. Imagine the potential of experiencing the joy of God's company. Now, by this, obviously, we're going to have to do some mathematics here. We're going to multiply the very best of human company by a million, forget about 10,000 reasons we were trying to find and the words never came up, it was 10,000 years, but it'll take more than 10,000 years to get to the depth of what it means to delightfully know God, because he must be, it simply must be, the most thrilling, the most enjoyable, the most interesting, the most stimulating, the most challenging, and the most engaging person in existence. I mean, that would kind of be almost by definition for God himself. And uh, because if his image is reflected in humanity, and that's what we can delight in one another because it's some reflection of who God is in some kind of a way, then how much more is the real thing? How much more is God so amazing? Now, there was a philosopher by the name of Rudolf Otto, and uh, he wrote a book in 1923 entitled The Idea of the Holy. And what he was trying to think about was, how, how can we get to understand what we mean by God? When we talk about God, what are we talking about? And he wasn't just intellectualizing and theorizing. He was saying, really, how can we get to know and draw near to this God, and what, what, what would it mean? And he came up with three words, which um, and I can actually remember in the Latin, which which he used for, I suppose, just to give people an unfamiliar language and to say, okay, let's invest these words with new and fresh meaning, but I'll give it to you in English today. Um, And the first word was mysterious. He is the mysterious God. Don't ever think you can figure him out. Have you met somebody you just can't figure out? Well, don't ever think that you, with your feeble figuring, can ever figure out the most powerful and glorious and, 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 and mysterious being that exists, and um, we, we do get to know him, but what we know of him is so, is so small by comparison to all there is to know about him that it's going to take all of eternity even to discover uh, anything really of any depth about God and and, and we thank God that he's revealed himself and, and we have so many ways of getting a hold of God, but never think you got a hold of all of him. Just when you think you figured him out, he surprises you. And so he's this wonderful, mysterious person. And one of the things that I enjoy about going on in my knowledge of God is the more you know, the less you know kind of things. And it's not exactly true. Uh, you do get to know a whole lot more, but, but you find there's so much more to know And it's we're not frightened of mystery. We're not frightened of that. And sometimes just contemplating the mystery of God is enough to thrill you. And just imagine what it might be like when we're able to see Jesus face to face and in the glorious future and explore all the more. The second word he used was the word tremendous. Tremendous. And uh, he was investing it with a kind of awesome kind of meaning that this, is, this will cause you to, trem- to tremble. Uh, and, and a kind of holy fear of being in the awesome presence of uncreated holy God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all, who is love and whom there is no shadow of anything that would detract from absolute infinite perfection and and that causes a sense of awe which I believe we got to restore. The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit and it doesn't mean to say we have to be bowed down by some kind of sense of fear of God's judgment and and so forth because the blood of Jesus has dealt with that but there is a holy awe, a holy uh, fear. He is God Almighty, not God Almighty uh, as uh, one one uh, Bible scholar recently uh, tried to tried to explain. So he's tremendous, but also he is fascinating. This mysterious, tremendous God is fascinating, because when you think about his tremendous nature, his infinite holiness, there's something about you that is a bit scared and kind of kind of wants to pull away a little bit, uh, and yet you can't because he is also fascinating. He draws you closer and closer, rather like Moses when Moses saw the burning bush. Do you remember that story in Exodus three? Moses saw in the, in, the, in the desert a bush that was burning, but it was weird because it was burning, but not burning up. It wasn't being consumed. He said, "Oh, this is a strange thing. Let me go and investigate. That's what God is like." He is so compelling, he's so attractive and he will draw us, we instinctively will want to get closer to him and thank God that in Christ we can draw near to him. And he invites us to draw near to him. And Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. There is something so compelling and so attractive about him. And that attraction corresponds to everything that is within us in the deepest part of our being. In other words, there's a deep, deep longing to meet with a God like that, and to know him, and to experience him. And this is really the stepping stone of all good theology. Many years ago, a group of theologians got together, and they said, we are going to define our faith, and we're going to raise up a catechism, uh, build a catechism, so that new believers can know what we believe, And and they can be discipled in the faith. And these group of Westminster theologians gathered together and they came up with what is still with us today. It's called the Westminster Shorter Confession of Faith, or catechism. And so it starts, as most catechisms do, you know, with a question and an answer. And so the question, first question is, what is man's chief end? What is our chief purpose as human beings? And the answer that they taught us to say was this. Man's chief end is to know God and enjoy Him forever. That sounds like a very appealing invitation. And this is really what Peter is talking about. If you notice, uh, three times in the passage I read, knowing Jesus is mentioned. So knowing God, fully knowing Him, drawing close to Him, getting to know Him personally and intimately is really at the heart of our faith. And our faith gives us access to that. The like precious faith that we have obtained is that we might know Him. And as we grow in faith, so we grow in wisdom and revelation... Uh, And the spirit of wisdom revelation enlightens our hearts and understanding and attracts us closer and closer to him. That's how faith works. We want to know him and experience him. And that's why Peter says it's not just about coming to Jesus and saying, yes, I believe. You've got to grow in grace. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he doesn't give any limit to it. Even Jesus, when he teaches in the parable of the sower gives certain proportions that are not meant to limit us because it's amazing the percentages he talks about but he says the fruit that you can bear some tenfold, some twentyfold, some four and some hundredfold. In other words, there is this amazing capacity of our faith to grow and, and multiply and, and reproduce as it were all the fruits of faith in our experience and at the heart of that is knowing God and enjoying God. And, and then he comes to this statement. So I want to spend a bit of time on this today. It's an extraordinary statement. He says, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. Now that is a most extraordinary verse. And if we were hearing that verse for the first time today, thank God we've got a whole context, because we don't get carried away saying, yes, yes, we are the Shirley McLean generation, and we get up every morning, go to the beach, and scream out to the heavens, I am God, I am God, I am God. No, we don't become God. But we share, we participate in some amazing way in the very nature and character of God, and this is the born-again experience. I was speaking yesterday to RT, we went Amanda and I went to pick RT Kendall up from the airport, he's ministering in Britain for a, a week, and then uh, the whole family's coming at the end of the month, and they'll be with us for six months, so we had a chance to catch up, and the conversation turned to the fact that we are noticing that very few preachers are emphasizing and focusing on the born-again experience. There's a technical term for this, Regeneration. Now, it's not a theological term, actually. It's much more current. We can talk about a a regeneration of a borough. And many local councils and local authorities are trying to regenerate their borough. Uh, What that really means is to inject fresh life into it. So it speaks about fresh life and and restoration. And God has regenerated us because we were so far away from him That is, the the, the image that I have given you, my image, which I've given you by creation, has been so spoiled, so marred, so broken down, it's so derelict, that you need regeneration. But unlike the regeneration of our environment... It's a a completely new nature. God doesn't say, oh look, okay, I can repair this and we can build something new there and we can uh, restore this building. No, no, no. He says, get rid of it all. The old nature has to go. There's just no hope for that. I am going to do a new thing. I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to put my new life in you. This is what we're talking about today. In other words, we have God's seed living in us so that we receive new life. And, uh, you know, in the new year, some of you said, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Forget the new leaves. Forget that. Go for a new life, friends. Not a new leaf. A new life. Maybe even a new lease on life. A new life. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And this is all about Jesus living in us by faith. And so what does it mean when he says we are created or, or recreated in, in his image and, and we are made participators of the divine, uh, in the divine nature. He speaks here about power. This is something powerful. It's supernatural. That's why it says his divine power is at work in us. And it's at work in us through the promises, the promises of God, all the thousand promises that God has made in the Bible. And he says, all of these are yours and the power is operating in you and because of that, you can be sure about two things. You have everything you need through the power of God for the whole of your life. It's amazing. The offering talk today was taken from Elijah. And so there was nothing. The woman, that's all she had, just a little bit of stuff left. And, but God provided because, you know, there's no such thing as having nothing when you have God. God can make your nothing something. And this is supernatural living. So he says, these things have given us everything we need pertaining to life. And I'm happy to see that as the whole of life. God hasn't just forgotten that we've got bodies. So I'm here to bless your soul. Uh, forget your body and forget every other physical need you have. If you were holy enough, you wouldn't need food. That's not what God's about. He, he provides for us richly. And, and, and that's great. But then he doesn't just leave it there. He says, life and godliness. And really, this is the real focus of the promise of God. Of course, the promises are there to meet our physical needs. Yes, that's true. But even more than that, the promises are there so that we, by faith, can act on them and express our new godly nature so we might become like Jesus. And so this knowledge that he promises us by which we can grow and, and become like Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. This is the new covenant promise. In the old covenant, the people of God were gathered together, they belonged to God, they, they were, he took care of them, but not everybody had Deep, intimate knowledge of God. But God says, in the new covenant, I'm going to change all that. In the new covenant, everyone shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. Jeremiah 31 and 34. And it's quoted in Hebrews 8 verse 11. God says, you will all know me. From the least of you to the greatest. There's no elitism here. There's no special class of, 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 of the, the, those who belong to God, who know him and, and those who don't know him. We can all know him because the spirit of God lives in you. And this is God's great agenda for your life, that you will know him. I was speaking not so long ago to a minister who had blown it big time, blown it. Lost his ministry. And I went to speak to him and we shared together some private moments and, and uh, you know, I, I said, you know, what, what, what's your outlook? So he says, well, I, you know, I'm not really thinking about getting my ministry back. I said, well, what are you thinking about? He said, I'm really worried and concerned that I've lost my destiny. And tell me about your destiny. What do you mean? You know, that I would be a mighty man of God. And he described himself in ministry terms. And I said, you know, the fact that all this has come out is the best thing that has happened to you because now you can learn your new, your real purpose. Your real purpose isn't to be a mighty man of God turning the world upside down. Your real purpose isn't anything that you can put even in your, in your daily life to be the, the, to be the top managing director in some company or even to be the best husband to that wife of yours. That's not... Your true purpose. You were not put on this planet for that. doesn't mean to say those things are wrong by no means, but you're not. That's not your purpose. You were put on this planet to get to know God and to reflect that knowledge of God out into the world. By being the best husband that you will ever be. By being whatever God else, whatever else God calls you. But you've got to get back to this. This is what it's all about. And um, I want to entice you into this. Because this is not just some must-do kind of thing. Discipline kind of thing. I know he's going to tell us we've got to get up early and seek God. And all this kind of stuff. I'm not talking so much about the means. I'm talking about the desire. The motivation. Because you see, the, my problem is not sin. I have no sin problem. My problem is my desires to sin, okay? And that's your problem as well because the old Colandai is addicted to this stuff and the new Colandai has to slap that old Colandai out and say, come on, you are made for something better than this. And so, the new life, if you've been made a partaker of the divine nature, it means there's something of God in you that is irrepressible and indestructible. And it is the truest thing about you, it is the determining. Aspect of your life, it determines your identity, who you are. It determines your desires. It sets your passions on fire. The passions, not for the things of this world, but for the things of God and his kingdom. In the last few days with the uh, attacks and terrorist activity in France, there's been a lot of national solidarity and indeed international solidarity. And it came out this way, Charlie Hebdo, this weekly magazine, satirical magazine, as you know, the uh, people who were working there were attacked, and many of them were killed. And so spontaneously, as an act of solidarity, people took on a new identity, at least for a short period of time. je suis Charlie. I am Charlie. I am Charlie. Now you say, well, what is that? Doesn't even make sense. What they were saying was, we are showing solidarity with what has the suffering that is there. And isn't it interesting how, when we talk about connection and solidarity, we pretty quickly start talking about identity? And, And when we, as Christians, our identity is shaped by who we are in Christ because we've been made partakers of the divine nature. And so this knowledge is, is, is there for us because it corresponds to who we are. It corresponds to who we are, really who we are. And because of this, James says, we have escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, sinful desire. And I kind of get this, not just from, one, uh, from, from Peter, but we get it from the other writers as well, from Paul, we get it from John, we get it from the writer to the Hebrews, we get it from James. He's talking about relationship, intimate relationship with God because there's a connection. And that connection is based on a new identity because of who we are in Christ. So you are drawn to him. Because deep answers to deep. And the spirit of God in you is carrying you to Christ. And and God is reaching out to you in Christ so that you can connect. That's what it means when it says we are partakers of the divine nature. And um, he's talking about something that has happened to us which is supernatural. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 23. And uh, I'll come back to the full context later because it's a lot of practical instruction here, and he's talking about putting off the old and putting on the new. But this is how he describes who we are in Christ, our new nature. Verse 23, verse 24, it says, and that you put on the new man, that's your new identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, putting it on means you actually learn to live it out. But he says put on and then he describes this new nature. It says which was created according to God. That's Paul's way of saying we've been made partakers of the divine nature. This new nature has been created by God, given to us by God, but it is according to God. It means it fits in with him. It is patterned on who he is. It is a holiness and a righteousness within us, implanted in us miraculously by the Holy Spirit at conversion, a new nature which is crazy about God. A new nature which at its heart is righteous. Paul later on says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, We have become. The righteousness of God in Christ. So when you start digging deep and you look what's going on inside you and say, I don't like that, I don't like that, keep digging because the deeper you dig, the more of God you're going to find on the inside of you. You're born again. You've got a new nature, a new identity. God's spirit lives in you. Created according to God. NIV says to be like him. To be like Him, created like God, it's like God. You're sharing in the same nature as God. That's been imparted to you, something of God's nature, something of God's character. The stuff that God loves, you love. That's why His commandments are not burdensome. That's why you're never more free than when you are running in the paths of righteousness. And you're being prepared for the future where righteousness will be at home in the new heavens and the new earth. It's all about God implanting a new nature in us, which then begins to manifest as Christ is shaped and formed in us. So it says, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, the word holiness has the idea of a nature. You have a new nature, a holy nature. It's not like trying to become holy. Holiness, first of all, is the gift of a new nature. Now you have to live out that new nature. Of course you do. But living out the new nature isn't trying to become what you're not. That's difficult. If you think Christianity is finding out, oh, you know what? You know, if I really had my way, these are the stuff that I would be involved in. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I desire. But you see, the trouble is, it's got a problem God doesn't like that kind of stuff, so I have to, don't want to, I don't really like to do this, I, I don't desire, there's no passion for this, this is my passion, but God says no, so anyway, I have to try and do it. That's not what Christianity is like, it's you have lost the passion. You've crucified the flesh with its affections and desires and there's a new passion and it's there whether you feel it or not. You say, well, don't talk to me about that, Colin. I'm struggling here. I don't really feel I've got any kind of passion like that. Let me tell you, it exists. And not does it just exist. It is who you really are. You are a new creation. That's who you really are. Amen and amen. And so, as a result of this, friends, we can begin to imitate God in our thoughts and activity, but not because, just because we have to, but because we're passionate to, we want to. We hunger for holiness, we thirst for righteousness. And that's why we get busy with the activity of putting off the old, Well, this bit, that belongs to the old life. Get rid of it. This bit, that belongs to Christ. I'm going to embrace that. And that's our walk of holiness. In order for it to happen, we have to acknowledge the divine transformation that has taken place. The old nature, what's that like? Sinful from within by inclination. That's the corruption that's in the world through lust. And that lust, that desire, comes from who we were. And that's there. But God says, I've taken that away. You were born like every other human being in this planet and all world history, you were born with a virus, an anti God virus, at conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. So, you know, it's not just Richard Dawkins who speaks about anti-God virus or the God virus. He doesn't, you know, he is infected with the same anti-God virus as we all have all been infected. But thank God, God has recreated us and we're totally virus free in 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 our nature. In our, in our real heart of hearts, we're, we're virus-free. Some of the sniffing and coughing and sneezing and flu symptoms are still there, but that, that virus is, 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 is gone. Thank you, Jesus. We've got a new nature, and this new nature naturally desires righteousness, not sin. The old nature is corrupt, corrupted, being corrupted, and continually being corrupted. And so it gets worse and worse and worse. And you can put on a nice moral front. You can have everything you want in this world. You can look like somebody that is so holy that you're embarrassing to know. But unless you're born again, you are corrupt on the inside. And you will discover that nothing else will satisfy you until that corruption is removed. And the new nature is implanted. A nature that is so passionate for Jesus that it will drive out every lesser passion. And that is the only way for any kind of real, true satisfaction. That old nature is gone, the new nature has come, which means now that we are naturally inclined towards holiness. That's our real nature, to love God, to do the things of God. Well, it's naturally supernatural. So we have a supernatural, supernaturally natural inclination. It's supernatural because this has come from God, okay? But we really are changed, we really are different. We desire God. We want to chase God. Tommy Tenney, in his book, God Chasers, talks about this. It's a thrilling book. I went away for a weekend one time and and just focused on, on that book. It's thrilling when you understand that there is a passion in you, not just because you are a very spiritual person, but because you are a believer. You're born again. And in you is a desire for God that nothing else will satisfy. And your job is to so fan into flame that passion that the passion for God blazes with such power that everything else is pushed away as irrelevant. This is your holy and continual desire to grow, to be like Jesus and to enjoy the fruits of holiness. James in chapter 6 talks about sowing to the flesh and reaping from the flesh corruption and all that negative stuff. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit everything that's associated with the eternal life that is in you. So when we grasp that, then we can begin to say, okay, so tell me, what does it mean to enjoy God? If I've, if I've got the nature of God in me, and the, I'm going to connect with God, and, and because like corresponds to like, and that connection operates within me, I have the passion for God in me. Tell me, Colin, about enjoying God. What does it mean? First of all, it means the joy of knowing Him and being with Him. Because you're related to Him, you share His nature, There's something alive in you. And what's alive in you is what is most true about you. Never get your identity from anything else other than who you are in Christ. This nature loves God. It's a given. It's a gift. This nature longs for God. And this nature is delighted by God in a way that nothing else could ever delight you. Everything that you are, all that you want to become, all that you want to do, flows from that new nature. This spirit-implanted, grace-imparted nature that desires God, and when you get Him, you enjoy Him. Now, when do you enjoy yourself the most? All right? Not a trick question. Uh, I'll tell you when I enjoy enjoy myself the most when I'm doing something that I like with the people I love. That's When I'm doing something that I like doing, that's when I enjoy myself. Amen? Same with you. Now then, because we have been changed and we have been made partakers of the divine nature, what do we like? Doing anything that's doing anything that's to do with God. Who do we like being with? Anything, anybody that has anything to do with God, including those who have not yet discovered that the true reason for living is God himself. Because even in those people, there's this thing working by the Holy Spirit. Saying, you know, what are you, what are you spending all your money on stuff that can't satisfy you? You're pursuing the wrong stuff. You know, God can awaken in you a desire for him by which you will seek him and find him and come to know him. And so we enjoy everything that's to do with God. And it, it becomes Delightful not just as a drudgery or a discipline or some kind of religious activity because that nature is implanted in us and we desire what God desires and when we get it and go in that direction, we are thrilled and satisfied because he is our beginning and he is our end. He is our reason for being. He is our joy. He is our passion. He is our fortress and strength. He's our shield and defender. He's our lover. He's our friend. He's our father. He's our mother. He's our brother. He's our son. He's our daughter. Everything that we enjoy is found in him. And he is our safe refuge. And this is so real that you can learn to say, have the same testimony that Asaph had. Asaph was one of the lead worshipers. He had one of the uh, temple worshipers and, uh, and, well, at least one of the lead worshippers and had a worship team and wrote, wrote um, worship songs in the Old Testament. And uh, Psalm 73 is a remarkable testimony. And uh, it begins with, oh my, 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 I nearly blew it. I was envious of the wicked when I saw all the stuff that they had and all the stuff that God has not allowed me to have. It's just not fair, Lord. And he goes through a whole process. And he meets with God. And when he meets with God in the sanctuary, he says, now I understand. Before, all this trying to work it out was too much for me. It was repressive. It was oppressive. But now... Now being with you, I understand. And he finishes with this testimony. Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. In other words, you are my primary focus. I don't desire anything or anyone more than I desire you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist realized, God, in all the good things you give and all the good things you promise, it all boils down to this one thing. You give us yourself. And that's my portion. And that's enough. And more than enough, because of this joy of knowing God and being with God. Secondly, the, uh, enjoying God me- involves the joy of knowing yourself. And being yourself. Wow. Many people think, you know, to be a Christian, I've got to be somebody else. Not me. Got to be somebody else. And so we put on all kinds of holiness things on the outside. We change our language out there in the streets. In in here, oh, yea, verily, brother. How goeth it with your soul, brother? Oh, that thou dost ask that is fortuitous because I am blessed and highly flavored. But when, 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 you, when you know God and are known by God, you, you really get to know yourself. But you get to know your true self. And you always say, yes! It's that yes moment when you know yourself. I mean, your real self, the true self, the self that God had in mind when he made you in the first place. And that self that you lost when you turned away from God and got all messed up. That self now is recreated and you are who you are and who you were intended to be. And it is a good feeling. Praise God. Knowing yourself and being yourself. No longer trying to be what you're not, but enjoying the person whom God has created you to be. Utterly and totally unique in the physical creation Psalm 139, in the physical creation, we're unique, utterly unique. There's only one you. Nobody else like you. And therefore, you are the only you that you can be, and nobody else can be the you who you really are. Amen and amen. amen. That's physically, in, t- in terms of who, who we are, as it were, in the physical creation. But it's extended in the, in the, in the new creation, whereby all that stuff that is not really us, It doesn't really belong to who we are and who God has made us and called us to be. That's gone. That's gone. The old things have gone. Everything has been made new. That's the reality in the core of your being. And when you discover that, you say, do you know what? I am righteous. I love God. Maybe that is a revelation for you today to take away from this meeting. I love God. God, no matter all the stuff, do you, anybody, my closest friends and, and mostly my enemies can point and say, mm, that's not God, that's not God, that, how can you call yourself a Christian? Do that, 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 that. Don't listen to them That's devil talk. Listen to the Holy Spirit who says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a new creation. You are righteous from within. He's implanted that seed of righteousness, that seed of holiness. That's who you are. You are a lover of God. Amen and amen. No longer fearful of approaching and drawing near an angry God a God who withholds, a God who has a, is down on you. No, 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 no. All that thinking's changed. We've repented and we understand that God is the lover of our soul, that God has a great plan and he's doing great things in me and we are and I am uncontrollably attracted to him and I'm deeply passionate about him. And we've we got to provoke that in one another. You know, because fellowship is all about connecting in the spirit. We know no man any longer after the flesh. And when we're in those small groups where we're connecting, we, 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 we dig. And it's good. People will expose their heart and say, you know what? I'm struggling in this area. You know what? I've had a terrible week. And I can think of a few words to say that might be said, but not from this platform when you're really being honest about how you feel. And you will talk, talk like that. You shouldn't feel that way. No, 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 they'll say, tell me some more. And, and, And the more you talk, the more you will realize that those things do not define you. Those things don't match up with who you really are. And Christian fellowship is provoking and fanning into flame that passion for Christ. So when you leave that place of fellowship, you go out renewed in the inner person and you know that Bit by bit, Jesus is beginning to be formed in you and you know the destiny that you have is that one day you will bear his image. You will be like him even as he is. Amen and amen. That's the joy of knowing yourself and therefore being yourself. No longer just having to... You know, there is a discipline. It's not about, I feel like doing this, therefore I will do it. But the truth is, is that you are never truer to yourself when you put aside all the negative feelings and the negative desires and the stuff that wants to pull you away from God. You are never more true to who you are than when you say no to that junk and say yes to Jesus and that integrity of spirit because it's consistent with who you are in Christ. Hallelujah. So... It's the joy of knowing and being with God. Secondly, it's the joy of knowing and being yourself. And the third thing, enjoying God, is the joy of knowing and being involved in God's plan, in God's purpose, in God's story. What is his story? Put it through this way, and I, this is not an exaggeration. God is the biggest party giver in all, not in all creation because you're out of it, in, in existence. There is, God knows how to throw a party. God is a party person. He's been having an incredibly amazing party with His Son and with the Holy Spirit forever. Don't think that before there was a world or a universe, there's only God saying, Oh, I'm all on my own. I don't like it. What am I going to do? I feel so lonely. No. He was throwing a party. In fact, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are forever in holy communion, in happiness, in joy, other-centeredness, giving, receiving, Glorifying, blessing, experiencing life, participating in life—it they are the life of the party. They are the party, and it was as if one day—and there's no such thing as a day because the world wasn't created—but what other language can I use? There was a moment in eternity where God said, "Whoa, isn't this fun?" and the Son said, "Yay!" and the Spirit said, "Yay, yay!" and, and then then the Father said, "Oh, wouldn't it be..." Great Great, if we could invite some other people to this party. Yeah, fantastic. So they celebrate and then, oh, mm, there isn't anybody else. There are no others to invite. I know, let's make them. So God creates the whole universe and in a tiny obscure part of the universe is a little planet called Earth. And God says, that's the one. And on that planet, he inhabits it with people with a purpose, to be in fellowship and communion with him. And of course, you know, like every good story, it it goes bad, you know, because it's it's, so something happened. And what it was, was humanity said, no way, we're going to have our own party and without you. Party, good idea, but that's it. Not without you. We'll, We'll have our own party. And God says, okay, I'm going to fix that. I'm not going to reject you. That party invitation still stands. And so, while that is a, a kind of amusing, don't think it's frivolous because there is deep theology involved in that, those kind of statements. And the joy of Father, Son, and Spirit, the blessedness, the sublimeness, the incredible overwhelming fullness of who God is he wants to share with us and so he sent Jesus into the world after a whole lot of prep a whole lot of prep the he sent Jesus and established his kingdom and called people together in a community kingdom a kingdom community or a, king, a community of the kingdom called the church of Jesus Christ and he says right okay now then you got your invitation now you you got, you got your party dress? you got your party suit? you got your party dress? party suit? No? Okay, I'll give you one. The righteousness of Jesus. Yeah. Ladies, that's your party dress. Yeah. Guys, those are, I say party suit, because we're in the West, but I, I, I kind of think that my party clothes are not so much of a suit, they're much more like Agabada. Yeah. You know, those Nigerian robes. If I could change nationality in heaven, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> One day I'll come because I get given them and they're in my wardrobe. Amanda, you know, they're, all, they're, they're still there. I've hidden some. You don't quite know where some of them are because they're, cl- they're cluttering up the place. But walk in those clothes. Oh, it's amazing. So this is our party dress. We've got the invitation, saved by faith. We've we got the party clothing, party dress, yeah? What is that? The righteousness of Jesus. And now, we've got to make sure we're going to enjoy ourselves. So if you go, if you can say, come to a party. What party is it? Well, we're going to be playing Scrabble. Um, okay. No, thank you. Uh, we're going to be playing Cluedo or Monopoly. Or, or we're going to play party, we're going to go and play squash. And you say, well, do you know what? I think I'll just... Skip this one, I'll sit at home, read my book. But God wants you to enjoy that party. Which means saying, I'm going to work in you so that my new nature is going to so manifest in you that when you stand before me about to enter that party, you will have your invitation, you will have your party dress, and you will be crazy about the stuff that you're going to experience in heaven. And the good news is, dear friends, the party begins now. We walk in the joy of the Lord now. Amen. How many people believe that? Okay, some of that is so deep, it's yet to, it's yet to, yet to work up. And, 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 and Oh, there it goes. It's touched your face now. <laughs> Hallelujah. The glory, the joy of Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus said, My joy, my glory. Enter the joy of the Lord. This is all God sharing his party. My joy, my glory, being together. That's amazing. Parties, When who else is going to be there? That's what excites you. Who's going to be there? You're going to meet some friends. And we're going to be together forever in heaven. And he says right now, get to like it because it's stuck with it in heaven and that means you have got to change. You have got to change if you're going to have to like me. Uh, I've got to change as well, all right. So we have to change so that the joy of fellowship and communion with God's people, we're the same, we're sharing the same nature. We're all part of the family of God and we're lifted up into the new heavens and the new earth and God is going to do an amazing way of getting ready that place for the party. You know, over the Christmas and New Year, London was all decorated, decorated out like a party. and and, and it seems that London was taken over. Oxford Street, lights, there in the embankment, fireworks. God's saying, let's get the universe ready for this party. This universe, everything, everything's gonna, let's make it, let's make it new. Let's get rid of the effects of sin, make a new heavens and a new earth. It's gonna be glorious, it'll just be a party, having a look around what God did with the new Mars with the new Saturn, with all the galaxies. Everything is going to be made so amazingly new. And you know what? You're going to be at home there because it's the home of righteousness, that righteousness that God has implanted. And you will be less embarrassed if that righteousness has begun really to show so that you will be like him. That's the story of God. Oh, somebody's just played with that clock up there because it's telling me some very bad lies right now. Let me wind, wind, wind down. 1 John 3 verse 2. This is our hope. We're being taken in a direction. God's nature belongs to our glorified bodies in heaven and it will happen. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Basically, look around. You ain't seen nothing yet. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. That's not just a future hope. It's a present reality. For the greatest way of changing is seeing Christ, who he is and who you are in him and who he is in you. And that means the reflection of his image begins to take effect in your life and you are changed from glory to glory. So this new identity, know who you are. Let who you are in Christ define you and who Christ is in you define you. I live nevertheless, not yet not I, but Christ in me. And intimacy, drawing near to God, cultivating this union and communion with God in your inner life so that Christ is formed in you and your relationships begin to reflect that kind of harmonious party life here and now where we love and are loved and we share and are blessed and we bless one another. Identity, intimacy, there's only one word left, ecstasy. Now, I'm not talking about a little white tablet. <laughs> and if you say, how does he know it's, it's a little white tablet? I've seen it on television. <laughs> I'm not talking that tablet. No, no, no. And neither am I talking about some kind of trance-like thing where you have some kind of, you know, out-of-body experience. No. Nothing sinful and nothing weird. This ecstasy is the strongest word in the English language that I know that describes the kind of joy that we have and will be ours because we delight in the Lord.